0: A very good morning to each and every one of you. It's such a pleasure this morning to come into your homes through this technology and to bring the word of the Lord. And it's again my privilege to come and continue on the series of Minor Prophets. And I believe this morning that the Lord has a specific word for many of us. Many of us will be ministered to, and many of us, the Lord will give us something that we can we can really take forward in our lives. So why don't we pray and ask the Lord to minister to us, speak to us, and let this word of God come alive for each one of us. Father, this morning we thank you and praise you for your word that is so powerful, Lord. Every time we read it, we meditate on it, we study it. There is something new that your spirit brings alive in us. We pray, O God, that as we listen to your word this morning, would you speak to our hearts, Lord? Holy Spirit, I ask you for your anointing. That Lord, wherever each one is and is listening to this word right now, would you minister to them in the personal need that they have, O Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My friends, this morning I want to begin this sermon with a question and the question is this do our priorities determine our purpose i'll repeat that think about this do our priorities determine our purpose and the second question is this does our purpose determine our priorities First question was, do our priorities determine our purpose? The second question is, do our priority, does our purpose determine our priorities? And I want you to mull over this as we go through this message to understand what our priorities is. I want to begin with the story of Max. You know, I changed names. Most of my male characters are Max and female characters are Amanda. So here's Max. Max was this one enthusiastic person who would jump into anything new that comes his way. And he would take up the responsibility, be it in church, be it in his office, or be it with his friends. Whenever there was an expectation somebody volunteers, Max would be the first one to raise his hand. And he would—he was very sincere. He would take it up with all his heart and say, okay, I want to do this. But as something else new came, the commitment to the older task that he had would fizzle out. And as he was going through this, on one hand he was happy that he was being available. But on the other hand, it left him with a sense of dissatisfaction. And the dissatisfaction was this, that he was able to begin a lot of activities, but he was not able to complete it. Over a period as we spoke, he realized that he is a good starter, but a very poor finisher. Enthusiastic to take up something, but not being able to complete it. I'm sure many of us identify with Max. We would have been in places where we commit ourselves to something. We take up something, but we don't follow through that to closure. As we look into the book of Haggai this morning, And I want us to understand that the story in Haggai is somewhat like the story of Max. That is why I have titled today's message as Priorities and Purpose. Priorities and Purpose. So let's look at Book of of Haggai. But before we go in there, I'm going to just give you a context to let you know how the people of Judah who returned from exile into Jerusalem, they came with all zeal. They left the comfort of their newfound home in exile where they lived for 70 years and they returned to Jerusalem. And when they returned to Jerusalem, they had one purpose. And that purpose was to build the temple of God. We need to understand this. And we read this in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5. It says this, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart had God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You know the story how Cyrus came and became the king of Persia. And then he allowed the people to come. In the last message, I shared the context of this. And we see how people, some of them volunteered and said, we are going back. They got the gold, the silver, and the things needed to build the temple. And they came, traveled all the way to Jerusalem, and they came with one sole purpose, and that purpose was to build the temple. That was the only purpose for which they came because they were so enthused about this temple of God. Because for Israel and for Judah, the centrality of their spirituality rested around the temple. So they knew the importance of building the temple. So they came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the son of Zedoak. We need to understand this purpose in order for us to understand the book of Haggai. Sorry, I'm still dwelling a little bit in Ezra, but I promise you that we will look at Haggai chapter one today. Let's read Ezra chapter three, verse one to three again for us to understand this purpose that they understood. There was not even an iota of doubt in their heart that they knew they came to build the temple. As we read Ezra chapter three and verse one, it says, when the seventh month came, and the Israelite had settled there in the towns. The people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. There was so much unity. Then Joshua, who was the priest, the son of Zozadak and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. About Zerubbabel, I will do in the next part. Very crucial to know a little about him and to connect him to our Savior. And his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of God, the, in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse three. Despite their fear. Note this, they did have fear because of the neighbors around. Despite their fears, the people around them, they built the altar and its foundation, sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning sacrifice And the evening sacrifice. You see this when they came back. When they settled down in their home. They began with all zeal. First they built the altar. As a symbol of saying we will begin to offer the sacrifices. And as we offer the sacrifices. We will parallelly construct the temple that is. In fact they went on to lay the foundations of the temple. After they laid the foundation of the temple. There rose an opposition from the neighbors around. Many people, including the local uh, people who were placed by Persia or Babylon in this land, they began to oppose because they knew when the temple is built, they knew fully well that Judah will become stronger. Because there was a connect that they had with the God, they began to oppose. And as the opposition arose for 16 long years, the construction of the temple was stopped. Judah began to give up on the purpose for which they came back to, came back to Judah and Jerusalem. What does this mean? It is in this context. If we don't understand this, we will not understand the book of Haggai. After 16 years of no work, after 16 years of a lull in the construction, after 16 years of people giving up their purpose, God raises up two prophets. The first prophet is Haggai who preaches for about three months. He preaches four sermons and we will look at that. And the second prophet is Zechariah. We will also study Zechariah later. Just a brief context to the book of Haggai. Before we jump into Haggai. Haggai means joyous one or festive one. I wonder why these days we don't name our children as Haggai. We name our children as Jacob, which means deceiver. But we forget to name our children as Haggai. Haggai means joyous one. It is the second smallest book in the Old Testament. It just has two chapters. You remember Obadiah? We just had one chapter. Haggai has just two chapters. But believe me, I've been reading it, studying it, meditating on it. There is so much to glean from it. We could do a six-part series on the book of Haggai. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do chapter one today, and maybe God willing, next time, chapter two. The whole book, the two chapters, can comprise of four sermons of Haggai, four preaching. And Haggai is so precise, he records when he preaches, the day on which and the month in which he is preaching this message. Each of those sermons, we can study and understand for ourselves what that means. And one more thing unique about book of Haggai is, unlike many other prophetic books that we studied in the past in the Minor Prophets, which were poetic in nature, here we find it's more of prose. As if God had lost that emotion toward Israel, now it's more of prose, it's more of story. There's no more poem coming up out of the prophet. And let's now dive into it. Are you ready for the book of Haggai? Let's dive. Right into the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. It reads, In the second year of King Darius. Now remember, they came back under the King Cyrus. Now there is King Darius. In the second year of King Darius, on the first Day of the sixth month. Very precise. We should note these dates because they have a significance. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Zodak, the high priest. Then we go on in verse 2 to 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the, while this house remains in ruin? You see, here's a question that Haggai is asking the people. So I'm bringing the first point in order for us to understand these verses. And my first point is this careless about your purpose, careless About your purpose. The people who came back with one sole purpose to build the temple. Became careless about their purpose. And God is raising up a Haggai as a prophet. Now to challenge them to return to that purpose. So he's asking them a question. He's asking them. Is it time for you to live in paneled houses. While this house referring to the temple. While this house still lies in ruins. I know Haggai is speaking to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. But through them, he's speaking to the whole nation. And I believe this morning, as we are hearing this word, though this word came to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the people of Judah, this is so much more relevant for us. The paradox of the people in Judah was this. They said it's not a time to build. Build what? It is not a time to build the temple of God. They were questioning, saying, maybe this is not God's will as yet. Maybe we need to wait for some more time. But on the contrary, they were busy building their own houses. It's not that it was not God's will for them to build. But they, because of the opposition that came, had moved away from the purpose for which they came back to the land of Judah. And they were busy. That's why in verse 4 we know he says, Is it time for yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? There's a significance of the paneled houses there. The reason is, Jerusalem when they came back was in ruins. There was nothing there. And these people had to establish everything newly. When it says about panel houses, it means they needed wooded houses. On those days, it was luxury to have this. They did not have wood in Jerusalem. So they had to either import it from Lebanon or to, to, to get it from there. Go and get it from there. So what does it mean? They put in that extra effort. They shelled out that extra money to live in luxury. But the bigger purpose of the house of God was lost. They lost out that big purpose for which they came and they became so self-centered in a smaller purpose of building their own houses and living in luxury. They had changed their priorities and God is calling them again saying, where is your priority? Is your priority your own house so much that you've forgotten the priority for which you came and your priority was to build this house that is the temple. How about us, my friends? We who are living in a time and day like this, have we not often prioritized our own self-interest over the kingdom of God? Have we not had changing priorities, not knowing what the purpose in our life is? Are we not a people that we start with all zeal saying, I will do this for God, I will do that for God. But over a period when troubles come, when the opposition rises, when persecution comes, we move away from that purpose and we even spiritualize it by saying, maybe it's not God's will for me to be in the ministry right now. If we know our purpose... If we know our calling, last week Pastor Victor shared such a beautiful message on the church being the body of Christ. He shared and said that each one of us has a calling. Each of you seated there in your own homes, you have a calling. You have a ministry. You may not be a full-time minister working in church, but wherever you are, God has a special call and a special ministry for you. And that is your purpose. And once you discover that purpose, everything else around us should circle around that purpose. It may be my money. It may be my job. It may be my house. It may be my family. It may be my friends. It may be my relatives. It may be the things I want to do. Even my hobbies. Everything centers and circles around this purpose. If it is not happening... We are like the people of Judah who say we have a great purpose. We know we have a calling, but our lives and our priorities don't match up to that. What is your priority? How are you making your choices? I can say this very boldly. Show me your priorities and I will show you what the purpose for which you are living for. Show me your priorities and I will show you What is the purpose for your living for? My friends, I want to challenge you. If you lack that purpose in your life, if you know God called you for something and you moved away from that, come back to that purpose. And that's the word of Haggai this morning. How can you live in paneled houses while this house is lying in ruin? There are people who live for their purpose and we can see a sense of fulfillment in their lives. And I want to challenge you to say, come back to those priorities. I want to make this statement. Listen to this carefully. It says, our priorities reveal our purpose. Our priorities reveal our purpose. Don't live in this pseudo belief about yourself. You're doing a lot of things for God. While your priorities don't match up to what God has called you to. If there's a dichotomy between your purpose and priorities, there is something wrong. And Haggai is calling us today. Let's get a little practical on this aspect of priorities. I understand very well that we have short-term priorities and we have long-term priorities. There are seasons that we go through in our lives. There are seasons where we may have studies as our focus. There may be seasons when you when you are a young parent with a young child, maybe your toddler. Parenting is your focus because you need to give up everything else to focus on that. Maybe you're in a new job and the first one year you're taking time to settle down and to do well. Maybe that's a season of your life. There's a short-term priority there. Maybe you've started a new business. You want to focus. There's a short-term priority there. I don't undermine that each of us go through different seasons and different seasons of our lives. Our priorities may vary. But in all these, our short-term priority changes. We need to understand one thing, that our long-term priority never changes. It still remains the same because we know ultimately where we are headed to. On a daily basis, maybe because of my short-term change of season, I may be doing something, but my long-term goal is still the same. That is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Let us read this. It says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what? That for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul did not want to miss the mark. He did not want to move away from the purpose for which he says, Not that I have arrived, not that I have achieved it all, but I press on. You, you realize this, this call of ministry that Pastor Victor spoke about last week. It's not something that you can passively sit at home and expect God to give you that mighty revelation one day. And you're waiting for that auspicious day where you will have the revelation and where you will begin your ministry. No, Paul is saying it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. I press on. I push forward. I put in my effort. It's a verb to say there is an action that is there. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. My friends, Christ has taken hold of each one of us with a divine purpose and a ministry. And we were reminded of it last week. Are you pressing on? To take hold of that. Now let me ask you a very simple question. You heard that message last week. Where it was said each of us have a ministry. What did you do through the week. In order to press on toward that call and purpose. Even if you didn't know. Did you wrestle with God to say. Lord I don't know what my ministry is. Would you please reveal it to me. That's pressing on. If you just heard the message and you left it thinking, nice message, thank you, Pastor Victor, and there was no change in your priorities, there is something wrong. And Haggai is calling for action. Haggai is not calling you for good intention. Haggai is calling you for good action. And we need to press on. We need to press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of us for. What did you do this week? Let me tell you another story from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2 onwards. It's a story of David. It's almost towards, the, let's say, at the pinnacle of his success, we read these verses. It says, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. So he had been there, he had achieved everything. And here he has total rest. He said to Nathan the prophet, He's probably thought over this many times lying on the bed in his palace. This is what he says to Nathan. Here I am living in a house of Seder while the ark of God remains in a tent. Do you see the heart cry of David? David has had all the success in the secular terms that you can think of. He has won battles against nations. He has won the wars. He has seen the mighty victory. He has trained the people that he needs to. He has had many children. He has had even many wives. He has made the riches. He has saved of enough to give to his son and say, "Now build the temple." But in all this, my friend, his desire, his heart cry is the kingdom purpose, the greater purpose. We can settle down. We David could have settled down saying, "Oh, I won the battle." I won the battle against the giant. I won the battle against the Philistines. I won the battle against the Midianites. God has fulfilled my purpose. Now I've built a nice palace. Let me live in this palace. But his hot cry is not these small purposes that are around. His hot cry is for the greater purpose of God. He says, how can I live in this house of cedar when the hawk of God is lying in tent? And God sees the heart of David. And he tells David, David, you read on in the chapter, my friends, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, from the time we left Egypt and the Ark of the Covenant was built, I have never dwelt in one place. I have been moving on and on. And he commends him. He appreciates him and then says, David, not you, but your son will build the house for me. I don't know what your heart cries, my people. I don't know what your heart cry is today. Is it yearning for greater purposes of God? Or is it settling down saying, my purpose is to have success in business. My purpose is to build another house. My purpose is to get the next promotion. My purpose is to just ensure my children are married. My purpose is to ensure my granddaughter gets admission somewhere. That's Those are insignificant purposes. If we don't have a greater purpose of what God has called us to. I know many people who start out with very good zeal. Very good zeal. You can see that these people have been chosen by God. Such anointing upon them. But somewhere along the way, they move away from purpose of God. 16 years of no activity. And God has to raise up a Haggai to remind them, you have a purpose. Return to that priority. In the pinnacle of your success, my friends, are you thinking of God? Are you thinking of his purposes? I want to share this. I felt as I was preparing this message that as a church, as Adonai, we are going to go into a new season. A new season. God is going to take us to a next paradigm. He's going to help us experience newer things that we've never experienced. He's going to hes going to do something that is going to be to build the kingdom in a bigger way. But as the church moves into a new season, the question you got to ask yourself is this. Are you prepared today to say, Lord, I am willing to move into that new season. I am willing to reprioritize my life. I am willing to align myself to that greater purpose of building the kingdom, God. As the church, when we go through a new season, we as a body of Christ, all of us need to arise and say, we move into this new season. Here's another statement I want to make. Our priorities reveal our value. Our priorities reveal our values. What is it that you are living for? What are your priorities in the last three months? in the last six months, in the last one year. And I'm sure this crisis that we've had right now in our nation and in our world has helped you know that things that you run after don't matter anymore. What matters is one constant thing, and that's the purpose of God. My friends, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be careless about your purpose. Come back, reprioritize your life and say, God, I want to align to Your greater purpose, and I want to take hold, Lord, of that which you have taken hold of me for. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But he seek seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All of us know that verse by heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the things of God. And all these things will be added unto you. To prove this, let's go back to David's story. And David's story, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11. And have done ever since the time I appointed you. This is God speaking. O oh, my people. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you. The Lord himself will establish your house. What is God saying? God is saying, David, you made me your priority. You said, how can the ark be in the tent? You made me the priority. I'm going to make you my priority. I will establish your house. The problem is too many of us run to establish our own homes and our houses. And we it's elusive. We keep running and we never make it. But when we seek His kingdom and His righteousness... God will help us establish the houses that is needed. Hallelujah. I challenge you this morning that you would come back to the purposes of God. Let's move on to the next point that I have. Next point that I have is crisis with a message. When we go through crisis, there are consequences as a result of that crisis. And this crisis and consequences have a message to communicate to us. And often we fail to listen to that message. Let's read Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 onwards. It says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never are full. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in purses or pockets which have holes in it. Can you see what God is trying to communicate here? He's trying to tell them, listen, you've done everything, you planted. And he's calling them, give careful thought to your ways. Five times he repeats this. Problem today is people stop thinking. People stop thinking. They don't apply sometimes common sense to what God is doing around them. God would have allowed a crisis for us to realize there is something that he is speaking. And when we don't realize, God is calling and saying, give careful thought. Give thought to what's happening around you. Give thought to what are the consequences around you. I'm trying to gain your attention. I will skip 7 and 8 and we go to 9 and we come back to 7 later. It says, you expected much, but you see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. And God is asking a question. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy building his own house. My friends, I feel... Today, we are in the same situation like the people of Judah were in Jerusalem at that time. They had so much to plant. They had so much to buy clothes. They had so much to build houses. They had so much to buy drink for themselves, but they were never, ever satisfied. There was this sense of inadequacy or sense of dissatisfaction within them that, kept them going for something more, something more, something more. Isn't that our culture today? You get the latest car. You are looking for something more. You build one house. You are, not dissatisfied. you are not satisfied. You want one more. You get the best college admission for your children. You are not satisfied. You are looking for something more. Something more and something more. There's a sense of dissatisfaction. And God is asking the people. Why? Why? Why do you think that sense of dissatisfaction is? As he is asking them the question. He's saying. Give careful thought to your ways, give careful thought to your ways, and I'm trying to speak to you something. God says, Because my house is lying in ruins, the people had got so busy complaining, Lord, we planted so much, but we are not harvesting. We bring home and then everything is blown away. People are analyzing why the crisis is. People are trying to get to the root of the problem by trying to discuss. People are trying to blame God saying, Lord, it's because of you we are in this trouble. But in the midst of that, God is reminding them, the crisis is not because of me. The crisis is because you have got wrong priorities. You have moved away from wrong, bright priorities. And that is why I'm allowing these things so that you will hear and you will return to me in the midst of your crisis. Right now, I know some of you are going through crisis. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your business is down. Can, can you just listen to God? Instead of complaining, instead of analyzing, instead of trying to get to blame the people around you, can you just listen, open your ears and say, God, what is it that you are trying to speak to me? My friends, there were four messages, three messages that were there in crisis for the children of Judah. Number one message was reprioritize your life. Reprioritize your life. And I want to challenge you today to reprioritize your life, to make God and His kingdom the first priority. The second message was this. There was a command. And what was the command? We read that in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 7. Verse 7 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. What is God saying? Don't just be passive about the kingdom of God. Go up to the temple, do something. Go up to the mountain, bring the timber. There is action, there is sacrifice, there is God is not saying there is timber lying here or I will do a miracle. God is expecting to see our heart when we take that first step to say, Lord, I will go up that incline of the temple, mountain, and I will get the timber for you. God is giving them a command saying, Go do something. Bring the timber, build my temple. I like that verse. You know what it says? So that I may take pleasure and that my name will be honored. Did you know that when we obey God, it brings that pleasure to God's heart? It's like this father who tells a child to do something and the child obeys and the father's so thrilled. And when he talks about the obedience of that child, his eyes lit up. There's a glee in his faith. There's a joy to talk proudly about his child. My friends, when we obey God, that's exactly what happens to God, our Father. He takes pleasure in our obedience. He takes pleasure when we build the kingdom of God. He takes pleasure when we align ourselves to the purposes of God. And his name is honored. His name is honored. Ask yourself this question. Have you been clinging too long for the promises, forgetting the command of God? Have you been holding on too long to the crisis, forgetting the command of God? Get down to obeying the command of God. The rest of the thing will fall in place. The third message is this, that in every crisis, our gracious, loving, merciful God has a promise. In every crisis, He has a promise. If only we are open to listening to his word. It says in chapter 1 verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. And what's the promise? I am with you, declares the Lord. What better promise, my friend, than the presence of God? You know, some of us get excited when God promises you that you will get married. Or God promises you he will bless you with a new house. God promises you saying you will go abroad. God promises you with a new car. We get excited. But there is those excitements are nothing compared to this promise which says, I am with you. And that's the promise that God wants to give to each one of us this morning. In the midst of the crisis that God is speaking to us and saying, my friends, I am with you. And I want to conclude with verse 14. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says this, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Jerubabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Zozadak. The high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Haggai started preaching on the first day of the sixth month. On the 24th day, there's already the construction of the temple that has begun. Why? Not because of the determination of the people, because they obeyed. We read in verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. My friends, if we need something today in the church, it is this. As we come in obedience to the Lord, we should cry. As we fast and pray for the next two weeks, we should cry saying, Lord, would you raise up the Jerubabal? Would you raise up the Joshuas? Would you stir up our spirits, Lord? Would you stir our spirit? Because when the, when the stirring of the spirit happens within us, there is no opposition that can stop us. There is no persecution that can stop us. Because the Lord will give us the strength to build the temple. My friends, this morning I pray, even as you're seated in the places wherever you are, even as you're listening to this message, that the Lord, the Spirit of God, would come down and stir up your spirit to move towards the greater purposes of God, to set your priorities right, to align your purposes to the kingdom of God. I pray this morning that God will stir up our spirits within Adonai. As we move to a new season of ourselves as a church, that God will raise up the zerubabbles from within this church. God will raise up the worship leaders, the Joshua's from within this church. And that God will stir up the spirit of the young and the old, the literate and the illiterate, the rich and the poor, the, the tall and the short, the black and the fair. Everyone in our church, our spirits would be stirred up. I pray that this message will not just be a message that you listen and say. I heard something about Haggai. I learned about his background. I pray that this message will be something to stir up your spirit. As I was praying, my friends, as I was preparing, I knew the Lord is doing something in each one of our lives. He's stirring us up. Don't turn a blind eye to that stirring. Don't let your selfishness come in the way of that stirring. Don't let your self-focus come in the way of that stirring. Let this Lord stir up your spirit so that you will know that God is at work. God is at work and he is calling you for a greater purpose. In the crisis, there's a message that God is giving us. And the message is, he's calling you to obey his command. And he's calling you to hold on to his promises. He's calling you so that he can stir up your spirit. And the very people who lay lull for 16 long years, in 24 days, were able to construct the temp- start the construction of the temple. I wonder if Haggai is coming and preaching to us, if we will feel the sermon stirring, and we will say, Lord, enough is enough. Don't just sit passive there, my friends. If you feel this urge, call up one of the pastors and tell them, I feel an urge to be involved in the ministry. I don't know how. Or if you have a specific call, call them and tell them, I feel a call for this particular ministry. Can I serve within the church and do something about it? Don't stay quiet Sunday after Sunday listening to the word. Let it stir you up to obedience that you may say, I will press on, I will move ahead, I will move up, I will go up to that mountain. There is effort, there is sacrifice, there is work to be done. You can't sit pretty in your bedroom and say, God will one day do this. That's what the people of Israel said. They said it's not a time for us to build a house. I want to tell you, Jesus 2,000 years back said this the harvest is already ready, but the laborers are few. And the same holds good today. The harvest is already ready. This is the opportune time for us to rise up and work towards what God wants us to do. In conclusion, I want to show you this picture, this painting is by Adolf Menzel. He was a painter who lived in the 18th century. In this painting, you see, it's called as the Frederick the Great's address to his generals. This happened in 1757, where they were supposed to go for a war against Austria. The general Frederick called all of them and was motivating them and encouraging them. It was a seven years long battle that they had to go for. And as Adolf Menzel painted this, he painted all the general soldiers that were there around him. And he was trying to address them. But you see that blank white space there? That blank space is Menzel forgot to paint paint Frederick himself. Probably he thought Frederick can come later. Frederick is the commander of the army. He painted all the soldiers but forgot the commander himself. If we are living lives where Jesus is not there in the picture, our picture is like this painting that we see. We may have all our families around us, the people around us, the successes around us, but our general Jesus Christ is missing. And that shows that our priorities are skewed. And I want to challenge you today would you begin your purpose with Jesus? Would you begin your priority? With the kingdom. And say Lord I want to commit myself. To serving you. And to live for you. Would you allow the Lord to stir up your spirit. As we sing this song. Wherever you are. I request you to stand. I know you may be in your bedroom, you may be at your at your hall watching this. You may be somewhere, doesn't matter. Would you just stand or kneel as a commitment to say, "Lord, I want to set my priorities right." We are going to sing this song. I request John to sing the song which says, "Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee." Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them be moved at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. In this hymn, the hymn writer is saying, take every part of mine, O God, and would you use me, would you use me, would you use me?